You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hi, my name is Sean Seguin. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge Community Church. Uh, we're a church plant uh, that plans to launch this year. So thank you for joining us. And happy Pentecost Sunday. Uh, really cool that we get to continue through the book of Acts on, on uh, Pentecost Sunday. And so just a few weeks ago, we actually talked about Pentecost. And so if you want to go back and, and learn a little bit more about it, go check that out. Uh, but today we're going to be diving into Acts 3. And before we start, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, I pray that you would just breathe upon my words as I, as I speak. Uh, and that you would breathe upon all those hearts that are listening. Help change us and transform us today by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had to call someone out on something? Like, I know I never enjoy, uh, you know, telling someone that, that they're doing something wrong, uh, that they're harming someone or themselves or whatever. I don't enjoy doing that. Uh, and to be honest, I didn't do it very much at all before I became a pastor. Uh, and I definitely didn't do it as much as I do as a parent. And so there's this reality, though, that as a parent, correction is one of the most loving things I can do. I mean, it... it Correction helps to make sure that, that my child doesn't harm themselves or harm someone else. And so this is something that, that is, is very important for, for parenting. And, um, and I just remember just a few months back uh, thinking of a time when I had to correct my son Gideon. He was, he's uh, three years old. And we were at Walmart right before uh, the uh, stay-at-home orders uh, for COVID happened. Uh, they, and this was we were, I was watching the, the numbers climb, and I was kind of like, it was kind of like, man, this is kind of crazy. Like, it's weird to watch. And, but we went to get our taxes done at Walmart. We get there. I'm sitting in this chair, uh, and Gideon's sitting in the chair next to me. And I turn over, and I look, and Gideon is turning around in this chair, and he's going, uh, and he's licking the chair. I'm not kidding, like, licking the chair. My son is known for this. He does this a lot. Uh, he's three. This is just part of being three. But as a parent who's thinking about COVID and thinking about all that's happening, I grabbed him and I was like, Gideon, stop, stop. Like, I got real serious, you know what I mean? And I'm like, stop. You cannot lick the chair, buddy. We're at Walmart. Like, that. who knows who's touched this chair? And so I, I had to reprimand him. You know, I had to rebuke him. And, and uh, then I was, and he kind of got sad and I put him in my lap and I was like, buddy, it's okay. I'm not mad at you. I love you. I just don't want you to, I don't want you to get sick, buddy. And, and, but this is a reality. This, this is just part of what we have to do as parents. And this is what we have to do as good, good Christians, as people who love those around us who are harming themselves or others. Sometimes words of correction are the most loving thing one can offer. And while Peter's sermon sounds harsh at first, it's an act of love. In fact, his sermon does three major things. In it, he offers rebuke, he offers uh, forgiveness, and he offers blessing. Peter offers rebuke, Peter offers forgiveness, and he offers blessing. And so we're going to dive into these three things. And I hope that it encourages you and helps you as, as you're thinking about ways to, to bring rebuke to others in, in a healthy way. But I hope it also helps you to see that what God wants to do in your life is, is not to shame you or anything like that, but God actually has a purpose of blessing you in the end. So let's go ahead and dive in verses 11 through 16. Peter offers rebuke. Verse 11. 
While he was holding on to Peter and John, talking about the man who was just healed, we talked about this last week, uh, that man, the lame man who got up and walked and went into the temple. But while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you now see and whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you all. Peter's frustrated. All these people are coming up, they're all excited, they're all like, oh my gosh, Peter, you're amazing. And, and Peter has to go, no, no. And, and in fact, the the you're, you're all excited, you come over here and, and you want to give appreciation to the one who healed this man? Let me tell you who healed this man, it was Jesus. And Peter, Peter like digs in here. He, 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 in verses 13, 14, and 15, in verse 13 he, he tells him that, that you handed over God's servant while God was glorifying him. And in 14, you denied God's holy and righteous one to set a murderer free. In verse 15, you killed the source of life and God raised him from the dead. That servant, that holy one, that source of life, that was the one who healed this man. Not me. Not Peter. And, and Peter's like, do you understand this? Like, do you get what you've done? This is kind of like the, uh, this, the moment in the show Undercover Boss, that face drop moment. I don't know if any of you remember this. Uh, that show Under, Under, Undercover Boss, I don't know if it's even still on or whatever, but the uh, CEO of a company uh, will come and, and she or he or whatever will, will go and put on a, a wig, usually a really bad wig or a fake beard or mustache. It's like, honestly, it's usually pretty bad. Uh, but they go into these places and they pretend like they're just, you know, doing a reality TV show to be a good employee or whatever. And and they're like learning the, the ropes. And all the while, the CEO is watching all the things that everybody's doing. And, you know, he calls himself Marty. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just here to learn. Uh, I really think you're doing a great job. He like looks around and he sees what everybody's doing. But the crazy thing is that sometimes... In these shows, these there will be like really bad employees. There will be these employees that uh, that that are like skimming off the top, taking you know, throwing things out that they shouldn't be throwing out, or or like being rude to customers or whatever. And then there's this like vindication at the end of the show that we all look forward to. Like we we had watched this person be like horrible in front of the CEO of the company, and we're like, oh, it's coming, you know? They sit him down face to face. Uh, she doesn't have her her, uh, her uh, wig on, or he doesn't have his wig on or whatever, and, and uh, he's sitting there in front of his employee, and he's like, do you know who I am? And they're like, yeah, you're the CEO of the company. And he's like, yes, and... It was me, Marty, all along. <laughs> you know, like there's this like, psh. but the thing about it is those bad employees, all of a sudden, when they realize who he was, they go, like, 
face drop. You know, uh, Kate, my wife and I do this like uh, face drop practice. I don't know why we do this. We're like, see, you get it, face drop. Uh, but this is something that, that they have that face drop moment that like, oh no, like we really messed up. And so when you watch these employees do this, you're like, you're like, man, he's about to give it to him. And, and there's like kind of this like satisfaction. And while it makes great TV and here in the story, they have this like face drop moment. The reality is that we have all been that employee. We have all messed up majorly. And when we're, fa when we're face to face with our sin, we have our own like face drop moment, that like reality that, that like just hits us, you know? You remember that moment when you had that, that, that happen? When you realize that you've been acting as an enemy of God? That, that moment when you realize that, that, you're, that every selfish and hateful act uh, was like taking a hammer to the nail in Jesus' hands? I remember when I realized what I had done. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. It's this like gut-wrenching moment. But whenever, uh, but whenever you experience this, God is doing something in your heart. And this is what Peter is doing. Peter is going like, look, you need to know what happened. You need to know that that guy you were, you were talking to, uh, the guy that you disregarded, the guy that you ended up murdering, that guy... That was your savior. And in fact, Peter has all the reason to be angry about this, you know? This is his, this is his, his friend. And so, so that, these people get this like moment of like reality check. But Peter is not just trying to shame them. It's important, it's important for us to have this moment. For us to have this, this face drop moment. Whether, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we all need this moment. We need to see our sins rightly. We need to recognize our weakness so that we realize our need for God's strength. And this is, this is what Peter is doing. But this isn't uh, just a shaming session. Peter is doing more than offering rebuke. Peter is also offering forgiveness. Peter offers forgiveness. Verses 17 through 19. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. Just as your leaders also did, in this way God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. And even though he sounded harsh at first, he starts to comfort them. He's like, look, I know that you didn't know what you were doing. I know that your leaders didn't realize what they were doing. And the reality is that God was at work in your ignorance, bringing something together for the good of all creation. The cool thing is that even though they were the ones who murdered him, they're being invited to be forgiven. This is their chance. Peter's making it clear that it isn't, it isn't just like rubbing this information in their faces. He doesn't just want them uh, to feel bad which I think would be tempting for most of us. Like I said, he was Jesus' close friend. I mean, he gave up his entire life to follow this man. This was his rabbi. This was his friend. This was, this, this was his, uh, you know, his Messiah. This was their Messiah. They killed his friend. And it, would be, it would be so tempting for Peter to just continue to dig into their brokenness and their wickedness and just like 
lay it in, lay into them, you know, just show them how bad they are. A horrible, hard, hard and harsh rebuke, but he doesn't stay there. He moves on and he begins to offer this forgiveness. Peter's not seeking to harm them. Peter is seeking to help them. He's following Jesus' example. Like when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Peter is, is like, look, you didn't know what you were doing. And there's forgiveness available to you. Now, I have three kids, five and under, and sometimes I find myself trying to force them to be empathetic. You know, like when, when, uh, when my son hits one of my daughters or one of my daughters hits my son or each other or whatever, um, there's this moment where I'm like, don't you see the pain that you've caused? Like, and, and they, it, you know, just like over their head. They don't get what they've done. They don't realize how, like, how hurtful it was. And you want them to have this empathy. And so sometimes it's really easy to just drill in and just keep going and trying to, trying to get them to see how bad it was. And, and they're, they're just like, okay, yeah, sorry. You know, it's just going over their heads, you know. It's a frustrating moment as a parent. But the reality is my goal shouldn't be to shame my kids. My goal should be to shape my kids. That is our goal. When we bring rebuke, it's not to shame someone. It is to shape them. And this is exactly what Peter is doing here. He's not trying to shame them. He's trying to shape them. He's encouraging them to turn away from sin. And in fact, he's saying that in doing that, their guilt will be wiped out. And many of us today, though, we just remain in that place of shame. We just let it sit on us. When you mess up and, and you realize it, instead of turning to God, you run and hide. Man, when my son uh, gets caught, I'm really digging into Gideon today. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> when my son gets caught uh, doing something during nap time, he's supposed to be in bed sleeping, right? And sometimes he gets up and starts playing with toys and I'll have to go in there and be like, buddy, stop. you got to get sleep. It's, you need sleep. Um, and I'll catch him, but when I walk in, the very first thing my son does, he dives into his bed and pulls the covers over his head. Like, he, like, legitimately hides from me. This is a, this is a totally natural thing to do. I mean, Adam and Eve, what are the, what's the first thing they do when God comes uh, into the garden after they've bitten from the, eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They, evil, they go and they hide behind a tree. They go and hide. This is natural for us to do. We, we desire, we don't, we don't like it when uh, those that we love or care about see us doing things that we aren't supposed to be doing. We feel that shame immediately. But this isn't what God wants for us to like, for it to remain on us. When I sin, God doesn't want to make me feel bad. His goal is to help me turn away from sin. And I think about like what I do with Gideon. So he hides and all that. I go and I pick him up. I'm like, hey, buddy, you need to, you need to lie down. And you need to go to sleep. I'll tuck him back in. I'll get his covers all fixed and I'll kiss him and I'll say, hey, I love you. And, and he's like, I love you. You know, like, it's like all things are restored. But there is that moment, like if, if he doesn't know, if he's not reassured of my love, there, like, what happens if I yell at him and I just leave the room? What if I, I come in and I rebuke him and do all that and then I just, I'm out. He's not going to, he's going to stay in that place of shame that remains on him. And in the same way, we need to go to God and because he's, not, he's a loving father. He's not going to just rebuke us and, and be out. He's rebuking us so that he can draw us near. And the thing is, our shame, it, it causes us to separate ourselves from him, to hide from him. 
And all the while, he's trying to draw us in with his conviction, with his rebuke, in order to shape us. But there's, there's, uh, there's another way that we respond sometimes when, when our sin is, is recognized, when someone points out our sin. Another unhealthy thing that I think we do, we harden our hearts. It, it's so easy to just justify our actions. Instead of admitting, oh man, I, I, I sinned, I messed up. It's so easy to just start justifying. We harden our hearts. I worked in youth and young adult ministry for almost a decade, um, and in doing this, I ran into this a lot, man. Um, it, it's just, it's so hard for teenagers uh, to, to have an authority figure uh, point out something that needs to be dealt with. There's like this thing in them that puffs up. They're mad. They don't like. They don't want. Uh, they're. They don't want to be seen as, as wrong or bad or something like that. And so some, they'll put up their defenses and they'll justify. And many times I have people leave my youth ministry um, and come back. But but they would they would leave and it, with this like hardened heart. And I wouldn't stop pursuing them. I would go out to co- take them out to coffee if they wanted it or like uh, lunch or something like that. We'd go hang out, and, and I would just continue to let them know they're always welcome back anytime they want. And and it was, oftentimes, it wasn't until their heart and heart was just broken under the weight of their own sin and the the the, the consequences of their sin that they would return. They, and then they would come back and all things would be restored. But the reality is that in the same way that, that my shame causes me to hide and it separates me from God, the same thing happens when we harden our hearts. We separate ourselves from God. It's hard, it's hard when someone else recognizes your junk, your brokenness. It's, it's one thing to feel like they're right, you realize they're right, and feel like, man, I can't be loved by them anymore. And it's another thing that we do that we go, man, no, that's not me. That's not my brokenness, and to defend ourselves. Both of these things are extremely unhealthy, and God doesn't want you to enter into either one of these things. He wants you to be shaped by the rebuke. And this is what Peter is trying to do. He's trying to offer forgiveness. Some will, surely some will probably feel shame and surely some will probably harden their hearts. But as we'll see uh, later on um, next week, uh, there's 5,000 people that get saved because of this. They, They allow God to shape their hearts. So whether you're a believer or not, turn to God. Don't hide any longer. Don't harden yourself any longer. He's a loving father, and all he desires to do is wrap you up in his arms and heal your heart. So Peter helps them to feel the weight of their sin. He offers the rebuke. He, he um, offers forgiveness, uh, but he doesn't stop there. In the end of this sermon, in the end of this, as he's preaching, he offers blessing. Peter offers blessing, verses 20 through 26. That, that he's talking about them repenting and turning. He says, in order that, he's talking about in order that, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among, the, among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you, and everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him 
have also foretold these days. You are the sons. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Peter's saying that God wants to bring refreshing. The Messiah that they've been waiting for is had actually come, and he was coming to bring his kingdom. It really is beginning. He's, he's actually at work to restore all things and to bless all nations. And he wants to do it by starting by blessing these people. These people who murdered Jesus, the Messiah. This second chance is like no other. Uh, they realize that they participated in killing the Messiah that they had been waiting for, and, and God is still giving them another chance, not just to like not go to hell or something, but to participate in the restoration of all things. Through Peter, God is offering more than forgiveness. He's offering blessing. And this is a blessing that has to do with their transformation. This is why Peter says, God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. But their turning is the beginning of God's rescue plan for the rest of creation. This is a blessing. This is a blessing that we have all received if we receive Jesus. And the blessing goes beyond just being saved from something, from sin, from death. No, it's more than that. God wants to save. He saved us also for something. He has a purpose in saving us. It's not just about sitting on a cloud somewhere, you know, in the sky. It's about being on a mission with him. Recently, I was uh, I, I found about I found out about this program called Swords to Plowshares. It's a it's from a Christian ministry that puts it together. Uh, it's it's a ministry where people donate uh, guns to be uh, re reshaped into gardening tools. Uh, it's based on the passage from Isaiah two four, talking about the like coming kingdom of peace, the kingdom of God that's going to come where there won't be a need for any uh, any weapons, and and all the weapons, all those things that brought destruction will now bring life. Uh, and so this ministry does this and offers people to bring any weapons they want to bring, and they will refashion them into gardening tools. And on their website, there's this like uh, description of those participating in it and what they might see. And I, I thought this was really cool. I wanted to share this. A human whose life was impacted by gun violence speaks to their experience while a donated gun is disarmed. The weapon is heated thousands of degrees until the metal glows, signaling that it's hot enough to reshape. Anyone impacted by gun violence can take a turn hitting the heated gun barrel against an anvil to, to begin its reshaping process. A mother might strike the weapon 18 times to remember her 18-year-old child who died from suicide. Or a student might hit it in memory of a lost friend and classmate. Most recently, the barrel was struck in memory of the at least 50 victims who lost their lives in the March mass shooting at Christ Church in New Zealand. After this shared ritual, the metal will be forged into garden tools. What a, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. I mean, like, I know that, that the day of God's perfect kingdom of peace is not here yet. I, I know that war still rages. Uh, but what a beautiful picture. That, that these 
these things intended to bring destruction to anyone who might harm me or attempt to harm me would now bring life. And the reality is we were all instruments of destruction and death. And God is reforging and reshaping us into instruments of life. How, how amazing. And Peter just explained that these people are responsible for the death of Jesus, and yet they're not only forgiven, but he offered them a chance to bring life and be a part of his rescue mission. This is grace. This, this is blessing. This is what is offered to all of us as we place our trust and our allegiance into Jesus. So in Peter's sermon, he offers rebuke, forgiveness, and blessing. And this really is uh, the way that God works. God's rebuke leads to conviction, which draws us into repentance and forgiveness. And, and, once, and as our hearts are being healed, God blesses us through that process and, and, and gives us the blessing of being a blessing to others. And when I go to correct my son as he's like licking the chair, my hope is that it would turn him from doing this silly thing, you know, uh, this thing that could bring him destruction to a, an adult that I'm raising and shaping that, that is able to shape others. There's a reality that, that what, what we're doing as we bring rebuke to others, as we're thinking about it as shaping others, that, that we are able to be a blessing and bring life. If that's not the end goal of any rebuke you bring, uh, then, you, then you're, not, you're not doing what God's called you to do. We're supposed to rebuke in gentleness and kindness. And the reality is we all need that rebuke in our own lives on a regular basis. Scripture tells us that, that God chastises those he loves. It's important for us to experience this. If we don't understand that loving nature of God's rebuke, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll receive it as condemnation. Uh, it'll cause us to either harden our hearts or to hide. So re receive his rebuke. Allow conviction to draw you near to him. And then receive your forgiveness and your blessing. Before I close out, I have just a, a couple of quick questions that I, I want us to be considering as we enter into our time of worship. The first one is, when was the last time you heard God's rebuke? When was the last time you heard God's rebuke? If it hasn't been recently, if you can't remember the last time, man, get along with God. He loves you and he wants to shape you. His rebuke is good for you. It's good for me. I need to hear him put me in my place in order to shape me. Not to shame me, but to shape me. Not to shame you, but to shape you. God wants to change your life. When was the last time you heard his rebuke? But second of all, how have you responded to God's rebuke? Did you harden your heart? Have you made justifications for the things that you've been doing? Did you hide from him? Have you, have you avoided, uh, you know, being around your Christian friends or, or going to, you know, right now can't go to church, but avoided like interaction with Christians just because of shame or whatever? Or have you, have you truly given your heart to God, humbled yourself and, and, and allowed him to shape you? We're going to go ahead and go into a time of worship. I'm going to close out with a word of prayer uh, and then we'll come back and I'll give the benediction. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your love and your rebuke. Help us to receive it and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.